The following episode is sponsored by the Social Mobility Commission. Like us, the Social Mobility Commission share a vision of a society where everyone can secure a decent chance of a better future regardless of their background and where people can be proud of where they come from but not be limited to where they can go. We hope you enjoy this discussion. Yo, what's good, people? Welcome to another episode of Over the Bridge Podcast. To myself, Kweku. Also joined today with two out of four of the other mandem. Uh, we got Tom and we got Patrick as well with us. What's good, guys? Yo, what's good, How's man? Doing? Not bad, bro. Can't can't complain. Not in yeah. um, not in the flipping the Alps or whatever that Tom is right now skiing. But hey, we got the Alps down here now. It's snowing. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> you got a little sign. Yeah, a little dusting and that. I was, I was actually, I was actually out in the snow just now. That's what I was coming back from. So I went oh, for, for a real? Little, yeah, I went for a little walk in the in the forest because I'm near Epping Forest, in it. So, mm. just thought, uh, yeah, just get out there. Sounds get nice. Take, take selfies. No, nah, none of that, man. Bro, no. I went on Instagram, yeah, literally like half my feed is just people in the snow just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I, I, I like the snow, but I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not obviously gonna be like, oh, look, everybody's snowing, because everybody knows <laughs> that it's snowing, so. Mm. But yeah, just got out, got some fresh air, all good, feeling refreshed. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. How's everyone's week been as well? Boy, yeah, it's, it's been a busy week. Been a busy yeah. week at work, just long, long hours, a lot of things going on. But yeah, mm. this is—is is this our first episode in the new year, or nah? Did we do one before? No, we did, we did quick. We did one last week, fam. I, I do not. Yeah, <laughs> what? this life, bro. I'm telling you, <laughs> lockdown life. Yeah, everything just blurs. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, but literally, mm. it was like a few listen, days, like seven listen, days ago. Listen, listen, <laughs> lockdown life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, sweet. Um. Cool. Well, today, obviously, we have a, a new guest. Um, I'll let him introduce himself shortly, but I'll give a bit of background as far as that, how I know him. Um, we had a guest uh, maybe at some point last month or the month before, Joshua Adeyemi, um, amazing guy, current student at Cambridge. Um, and we had a really good episode talking about his journey from um, growing up in a council estate in South London to um, going to Eton and then finally studying at Cambridge. And he reached out to me actually on Instagram, like, yo, um, I know this guy, you got this amazing blog, really good guy, I spoke to him. Um, I think he'll be a good guest for your podcast. I was like, all right, cool. So um, checked out his profile on Instagram. Um, and after some time, I actually managed to read a few of his, his blogs and like, yeah, really, really enjoyed them. So. Um, looking forward to, to speaking a bit more about his background, about the blog itself, and just learn a, you know, learn about his journey. So, without further ado, I'll leave um, the poor banker. That's what he goes by <laughs> to yeah. introduce himself. Afternoon, boys. Thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, I'm the poor banker, uh, or PB, or that's what I decided to call the blog. Um, 
like you said, I'm from South London. Uh, similar similar background to Josh, actually. I grew up in predominantly council estates as a kid in South London. Um, and without it being planned, to be honest, ended up in uh, ended up in banking, um, where I've been working the last six and a half, seven years now. So, uh, no, it's really nice to, to sit down and chat with you guys. I appreciate you for having me on. No, definitely. Thank you for joining. And, um, yeah, as a fellow South Londoner, I always love it when you've got some some more South London representation because yeah, you've, got, exactly. you've got a couple of EastEnders on the uh, on the on the podcast. So. Done though, done though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> let, we'll let you have your time, South London. <laughs> cool. Um, so sweet. You know, obviously, I, I I grew up in South London, so I grew up in um, initially in Peckham, but then also Worth Road. So I'm familiar with you know both uh, areas that you and, and Joshua grew up in. Um, which gives you know a lot of context behind your your journey so far. Um, and firstly, I just wanted to you know you know you mentioned that you got into banking, um, but obviously we came across you through the blog. And I was wondering what was the inspiration behind you know starting the the blog and the brand, the Paul Bank, in the first place. Um, for me, it was it was always about uh, when I got into banking. My my friendship group predominantly is is people who I've grown up with and people who um, are from very similar backgrounds to me. And so when I got into banking and it was this totally like esoteric world to me at the time and I got into it and I would often come back to demand them and tell them stories about what would happen at work. And these were completely new experiences to me. So I'd come back and tell them, oh, you lot won't know the madness that happened today at work. So for me, it was always, it was always a nice feeling to come back and, and come back and tell those stories and often I would talk to people at work as well and they are from a completely a lot of them are from a completely different background to me um and they would have no idea uh of the kind of perspectives that some of the people from my type of background would have and the kind of experiences they go through um as they grow up and so for me the blog was a good way to kind of bridge the two worlds so I always think kind of as you increase dialogue and you increase like discourse between any groups of people, you you get to a place of like a common ground where everyone can kind of get an understanding of human experience from the other side. So that, that was kind of it for me, just kind of sharing experiences from both sides of the fence. If there's something useful I can come back with from kind of the world of banking that can that can shed some light to people in the ends or whatever, they, or from working class backgrounds. Yeah. And then I'll do that and vice versa. There's a lot of people who work in banking who live in this in this bubble where the problems that a lot of people in the working class go through aren't problems that they've ever had to deal with. And so they get a very skewed experience of life. And so, yeah, it, for me, it was about trying to bridge the two worlds. And uh, and so, yeah, I, I created almost this character to, 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 to do that. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, just as you were describing it and just using the term bridge as well, like it obviously... Uh, reminds me of like why we started over the bridge in the first place because there was a conversation I was being had about the experience of being a black person in Cambridge and you know we don't usually kind of hear that perspective so um, we thought okay cool we actually know that experience intimately let's discuss that and um, it's kind of evolved to you know kind of fulfill the same role that I guess your blog is doing in the sense of like giving a perspective of both sides of the 
defense. Um, yeah, so that's definitely. really cool to That hear. wasn't even on purpose, by the way. I was just saying, <laughs> you know what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit annoyed we didn't use that that phrase as well for our like we're promoting ourselves. Like, yeah. <laughs> Why did that? It didn't. Yeah, it just never occurred to us. We need to update that spiel. Maybe we can yeah, do yeah. that still. All right, all right. Yeah, yeah. a little rebranding that. But right. um, yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. And is there any particular reason why you chose to be anonymous? Like go by you know a pseudonym. Um. Yeah, I think that there's a few reasons. At the time, I know at the time when I did it, I had been off. I had been off social media personally anyway, um, for at least three, four years. And I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna go into it as as myself again, just because it wasn't something that I had as a, it wasn't my prerogative at the time. Mm. Um, at the same time, like I knew at some stage, um, people would get interested in it and stories might, stories might spread and travel. And I didn't want it to be a case where I was compromising who I am at work um with stories that they would feel are either um either give a skewed perspective of the industry or whatever the case may be so those were the main two reasons for me um and plus it was a it was a it was a case of like i said it was almost like um some of these stories are larger than life and i feel like it was it would be a nice way to kind of um tell them if it were through a character because you can almost create narratives that um that are kind of not embellished but like kind of uh, uh you can see and kind of uh, picture characters in a in a story whether it be your manager whether it be like guys in the end whether it be and the person reading it can immediately uh, take that character and say oh i know someone like that in my life so mm-hmm. um that was kind of another aspect for, for me as well yeah no that's i mean i think when I was reading it, like you have a really interesting writing style in the sense that it was, it starts off like a novel in a sense, like you, you kind of, um, you know, a lot of people when they write blogs is very kind of like a narrative um, based on, you know, I know that yours is obviously based on personal experiences as well, but very much, you know, a, a social commentary from their perspective as opposed to, you know, having, the idea of a story being tied into it and telling a story. Um, but that's something that he did, which I thought was pretty unique and, and, you know, was something that I found engaging as well. Um, but taking a step back, you mentioned how you kind of stumbled into banking. You got into banking, you know, by accident. Um, I think when we think about banking, there's a lot of stereotypes of a banker. I think obviously the, the financial crisis, um, 2008, that, led to a lot of, um, you know, a bit of a stigma towards banking. And there's, you know, certain films that came out as well that maybe glorified banking and, and just that investment world in general. Yeah. Um, so can you just give a bit of background about how you did end up kind of going down that route and how you found that journey? Yeah, so um, it, I had no plans of going into banking when I was a kid. Um the first time I went into um, the city was for a careers day. So I had um, I had been invited by a local charity that worked in my area um, to come along to this careers day. And I didn't really think much about it. I, I signed up to it because it was a summer holiday. I just finished my, my first year of uni and um, 
I didn't really have anything else to do. Um, and I was very cognizant of the fact that I had no real work experience anyway. So I went along not really expecting much. Um, but the interesting, the interesting factor to me was the fact that there was a people who not necessarily came from a varied background of diversity, but a varied academic background. And so there were people who did, um, there were people who did finance economics, but there were people who did uh, computer science, there were people who did um, engineering, there were people who did uh, fine art, music, whatever the case may be. And um, they all seemed to, um, they all seemed to enjoy what they did from a kind of problem solving perspective. And, um and having a technical challenges that that was something i really enjoyed um just in life generally um so i again not really expecting much asked the organizer of the event if they could um if i could just come in and shadow for a couple of days and they actually went to the to the extent of organizing a week's placement for me and um, six seven other of the young people that attended the careers day and um so I went, it was later that summer. So I went along, this was end of August um, now. I went along to that placement just before the start of my second year. And it was after that placement where, a lot of, where I met a lot of the people who are my mentors now. And um, I realized, okay, maybe this, maybe this is something I should try my hand at. And so I would spend a lot of time um, kind of between the end of that internship and the next internship, which I actually got uh, after like a couple of rounds of interviews and being encouraged to apply for it, um, like reading up on finance, understanding what the different terms were, like actually going in and out of the office whilst at uni, um, meeting people, learning about the business. And um, it was after the spring internship, which I did the next year that I got into summer um and again i'm still going in i'm still doing uni i'm still trying to understand this world um i'm still trying to get used to also the soft side of things like i mean how to write an email to these people how to address these people in person um uh because i'm at this stage never been kind of in a corporate environment or even really in a in a, in a work environment um and so i did the summer internship um the summer internship was uh, 10 weeks um uh, i'd rotated across three desks um i got thankfully i got an offer or a couple of offers and i managed to, to to get one on a desk which i really liked and yeah i've been here i've been on that desk for six and a half seven years now that's um yeah because i feel like obviously as someone that studied economics that tends to be well there's a certain route that people tend to take through the graduate scheme kind of thing so you know you have the insight week or whatever in the first year of uni you have the um summer internship hoping that that you know is is then um that then leads to a a job offer for the graduate scheme um so there's somewhat of a, a template to it but it sounds like yours was uh i don't know a slightly unconventional in a sense maybe at least that initially with um kind of going out of your way to ask um for for an opportunity um which yeah i think that's that's something that um i think people tend to or some people tend to find difficult because particularly for something you you don't really know about um because of this feeling of 
this is a whole different world to what I'm used to and what I'm aware of. Like what kind of gave you that um, maybe confidence is the word to like feel like this is something that I'm, I'll like look into. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I don't know, growing up, I had this, um, I had this really crazy competitive streak and, and it was almost, it was almost borderline arrogance. And you know that, um, you know, when you grow up with your set of friends and ends, like everything's always hyper competitive. Like mm-hmm. you're always trying to, you're always trying to be the best guy on the football pitch. You're always trying to be the best guy. Like, um, with girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, girls, <laughs> That's money, the one whatever. that immediately came to. Yeah, money, <laughs> playing money up. He's trying to swipe over. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it was always just this hyper competitiveness, and I think it was that because I had gone with many of my friends. Um, we all went to the same kind of careers day. Uh, it was that married to the fact that I, it, I had a complete ignorance of kind of the 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 uh, banking in general. I had a complete ignorance of it and it's kind of standing in general in society. So I, I was just as brazen in during the careers day as I would have been in any other setting. Mm. So to me, it wasn't actually a big deal to... It didn't feel like a big deal at the time to ask about an internship or shadowing people. I had, had a, I really enjoyed the day that I had there. I asked a lot of questions, um, and my feeling was, well, "What's the worst they can do?" Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I get where you're where you're coming from in a sense that it would have. I think if I had known about banking, then I probably wouldn't have asked the question because I would have been like, "Okay, I've got no no grounds or no rights to ask a question. This is these are people mm-hmm. with kids that day." They invited along to a charity careers day. Like, what, mm. what are they gonna end up giving me? But um, yeah. but it's probably because of that ignorance and that 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 kind of competitive streak that I had as a as a younger man that I felt mm. that I could just get away with, with kind of asking for it. And yeah, it just ended up working. So would you say that almost in a way that it's like better for I guess like young people coming up as well to kind of like ignore like all the I guess like all the kind of the hype around it, or I suppose like all the kind of like the pomp around banking and just kind of sort of try it out, like, you know, shadow someone or, and you know, if they feel like that's the kind of environment they enjoy, they should just go for it and not, not sort of worry. Or do you feel like your situation was just kind of like, almost just like a kind of like a lucky break? Um. Do you know, it's a bit of both. I, I do think I was incredibly lucky because, uh, uh, I mean, it's fate that I ended up going to Carize, Um and it's also fate that the, the the right people were there on the day that actually thought this guy's worth giving a shot. If that makes sense. At the same time, uh, I will say the people from from our kind of background they tend to they tend to have the general feeling that. Well, that wasn't doesn't understand me. That world doesn't get me, and they don't give me a chance because without giving me a chance, they have these preconceived notions that well, I'm not going to that world. They don't want me, so I'm going to try anyway. So it's kind of both because um, I'm not young people who who do shop and don't have kind of the same the same amount of luck, um, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't do their job. I mean, especially now, 
there's a lot of to do that because um, they're now actually an and increased to get people more uh, uh, yeah, a bit of a thing. Yeah, it's you know what? I think it's a bit of both. I think um, my circumstance, I was incredibly lucky in the sense that um, I had gone along to this careers day, the right people were there that were willing to give me an, an opportunity, um, which doesn't happen for everyone. And I speak to a lot of young people who are trying to get into the industry today who tell me that, you know, they, they haven't caught that lucky break. Um, but at the same time, I tend to think people from, from, from our background kind of put these people on a pedestal in, the in, in terms of industry and, and in terms of the banking industry specifically, um, where they say, Oh, these people must be they must know something i don't or i'm not built for that industry or they're not accepting of people like me um and uh, and so they decide not to shoot their shot anyway so i always say to i always say to young people i mean um you may not you may not be as lucky as me on the first try but there are people that and especially now there are people who um who are willing to give who are willing to give you an opportunity um, and especially with this increased push of trying to of trying to employ and get talent in from a more diverse background, um, it, it definitely is worth kind of uh, um, shooting your shot. And I think it's a lot more. It feels like a lot more of an equal playing field than it did previously. Mm, that's interesting, man. Um, PB, can I just ask? I'm called private bank. Well, uh, poor banker, not private banker, but poor banker. I'll call you PB. Um, I was reading, um, I was, I've read some of your stuff on, on your website and mm -hmm. um, I think it was on, I think one of the blogs was called Order, Order on the Floor. Yeah. And a conversation you had with management and they said some interesting things about, you know, people would wish to kill to be in your position. Yeah. Um, that to me sounds like a very weird kind of thing to hear anybody in management say to say to you. Um, I don't necessarily want to know the specifics, but what was the conversation um, behind that? Because I've never heard that kind of discussion had about, oh, you know, thousands of young people who killed to be in your seat. That sounds so like left to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you could get into that a bit more and then you spoke about being like competitive. Do you think that the trading floor um, is probably one of the most competitive environments um, around, you know, at least talking to people. What do you, what do you make of that? Cause I often hear people say that a lot. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like the, the, the conversation is, I think it depends on, it depends on who, who your manager is and their management style. I think there's some managers who like to, who like to breed that kind of environment of, you know, you should be thankful for the seat you have. This is a hyper-competitive um, industry and workplace and you could be gone at the drop of a hat and I have someone else that can fill your seat and will be willing to fill your seat and eager to fill your seat. So although there's a there's an element and there's shades of, um, there may be shades of, um, of more like sinister undertones to it, um, I just think that's how the trading floor is. And I think some... Because it's not, it's not it definitely, I know for a fact, it's not just me that has been addressed in this way. And I think some managers, they build their, they construct their teams like that, where there's a kind of high level of paranoia amongst 
everyone throughout the hierarchy about the kind of stability of their seat. And it works with some people, it doesn't work with others. And so some people, they react very badly to something like that. I kind of take something like that in my stride and I say it is it is very disheartening at the time. But I think over, especially if you hear it as a as a younger as a younger member of of a team. Um, but over time, you realize that that kind of rhetoric is just something they use to um, to try and kind of keep um, keep like I said, paranoia levels high amongst the team. Um, I think to your second point, it, it, and it kind of links in with what I was just saying. Yeah, man, the trading floor is easily the most. It's 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 very very competitive. It's as, and this is actually why I think people of our background could could actually survive and thrive a lot on the trading floor because there's a level of competitiveness and 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 thick skin and resilience that you have to have to to get by on the trading floor, and it's whether you're whether you're a salesperson and you've picked up the phone 20 times today and you've been told to, to piss off like 19 of them, whether you're a trader that's lost money four days in a row, um, whether you're a manager whose team isn't performing, like there is a lot at stake and there's a lot that people play for on the trading floor. It's, it's very kind of high risk, high reward. And so um, to me, it was kind of a translation of, how competitive it would be again with the friends I was growing up with like when you're in school and this one on your left is ready to laugh at you if you if you if you mess something up in like class or if you have one bad shot and in like your game of football or you ain't one pound up for the whole week and you've been getting your money stolen all week like the, the, it's this it's kind of a similar level of competitiveness on the trading floor and so um to me, I, I enjoy that. I enjoy that. Although it sounds very intense and it is very intense and it can be very overbearing sometimes and it does take its toll um, a lot of the times, um, I think I enjoy it and it's an environment which kind of helped me thrive and do my best working. No, I hear that. I probably agree with you on that. I think, I think a lot of people may not have the benefit of understanding that in some roles, not in all roles, because say, for example... Um, like investment banking, investment banking, m and that is obviously sometimes out of the hands of people who work. But if you're in yeah. a trading position and you're in front office, you're getting judged according to, you know, the P&L that you make or the sales credits that you get or the right calls and research that you make or the right product that you're able to structure. And so your numbers are on the board um, yeah. and that can that can humble you. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, you're as best as your, I always, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm as best as the right call I make or the worst call I make. I'm as best as the worst call that I make. And, you know, sometimes I'm reminded about some of the bad calls I've made and I, I'm not really reminded about the good calls I've made. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and that actually humbles you and you have to work very, very hard to, to, um, to perform. So I would, I, I yeah, I'll take your point. Actually, people from our backgrounds will probably be, um, yeah, it would benefit them. It, it would be a really good environment to deal with. But obviously, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of politics in the industry. Um, and how how you know over the course of your time, have you been able to um, deal with the the politics? What kind of you know things have you taken on board? Enjoyed not so much in terms of dealing with the politics. Um, it's a good question. Um, 
I think the first thing I had to accept when I got into the industry was that politics is a part of it and you have to try, you have to tell yourself from day one, to what extent can I, can I accept this politics before I step away and say, this isn't for me. And that can be a difficult decision because like I said, it's high risk, high reward. And you are at, you have to really, you have to really be sure of, 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 you know, is it, is it still worth it? Is what I still, is what I make, is what I achieve, is my career progression. Is it worth losing my dignity, for example, or is it worth giving up my, is it worth like shelving my pride over? And these are things you have to be very clear about and honest with yourself about from day one. Um, because like I said, polit politics is, is it, it will be there when you, when you get into the industry, it will be there for the duration of it and it will be there when you leave. So um, the way I typically tend to navigate it is, um, you have to, yeah, there has to be a bit of, a bit of like a give and take. So you kind of have to accept that um, there will be things that you do that are going to within you feel like, oh, this is a waste of my time or I don't feel like doing this or whether it be kind of flagging good work that you've done or walking up to the, like uh, the head of the team and telling him, you know, this is what we've been up to. Like, and some of that feels like a waste of time because in such an in such a numbers driven game, it can feel like bullshit that politics is the is the determining factor to promote mm. mm. to whoever you get. It's and they bill it as this big meritocracy of where if you you get paid or you get progressed depending on how well you do, when it's not always the case. So a lot of the time, I I, I do just kind of get my head down, do what I need to do, but I do accept that whether it be through my manager who thankfully is very understanding of 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 the fact that because he's the same of the fact that i don't really uh i don't really rate kind of the office politics side of it um and he has to maybe be more vocal about my achievements um or for yourself um in terms of like i said walking up to the right people letting them know what you're up to you have to be visible somewhat to these people otherwise you they won't know who you are you they won't know what you're doing and you're just another face in the sea of like 500 people on the trading floor so um it's give and take it's give and take and there is a there is a part of you that has to you have to see to the, um to to kind of get by and 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 do and progress as much as you want to otherwise you got to you got to live with yourself and say all right, in this industry, I'm not, I'm not going to do the politics, but I'm not going to get as far as I want to. Uh, and so, like I said, that's just a decision you have to make from very early in your career. Mm. No, that's interesting. And then I just want to ask, because I know there are some people that they are in, they are in the industry or, or they are interested in finance. And so that sounds to me like dealing with the relationship, I guess, up, so to speak, which is, that's understandable. But what about the relationship across? So, you know, let's say you're in, I mean, we're not going to ask about your function exactly. We'll still keep that uh, anonymous, but let's say you're in sales. How do you manage it with the traders or the structurers or people in research, or if you're in trading, how do you deal with the people in sales? How do you deal with the people that are kind of across you who, you know, people expect different things from you at, at any given time in the day? You know, you'll be getting asked for about 15 different runs. You'll be asked to price different things. Why didn't you price this thing five minutes ago? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with, you know, people just pulling you from different directions? Um, 
And those people often don't directly contribute to your success, so to speak. I mean, directly, they obviously do in a second order way. But how do you deal with that as well, kind of across from peers who are also on the trading floor, but within different parts of the floor? Uh, yeah, so it's another good question. I think a lot of it is is kind of you learn with uh, you learn with experience. So you learn over time what is going to be a waste of your time and what you need to kind of get done. Um, for um, the purposes of your desk and for the purposes of like your function. Um, a lot of the time, the, 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 one of the good things I like about the, the trading floor is that it gives you it gives you a lot of license to be blunt to people. And I'm not saying like you should be rude to anyone, but it gives you the license to say, there's no time for this right now, let's talk about it later. Or um, this can wait, or this isn't gonna be of anyone's benefit. and um it takes that's not something that you're going to come in on day one and be saying to people but after a while i think as you begin as you begin to build you kind of your like your franchise on the floor and you kind of build confidence that you know what you're doing and you're not consistently lose money or whatever the case may be you have some license to 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 start prioritizing and turning down things if you don't think it's a good use of your time and a lot of the time your your managers will tell you look, if you haven't got time to do something um, for kind of these people across like your level, like you say, just tell them you can't do it and tell them that they're going to have to figure out a different way of getting about it. Now, if it's something that is of mutual benefit, if it's something that is um, that we have to prioritize because there's an urgent situation or there's a PL critical situation or um, there's a very senior person who needs to who needs to know what's going on, then obviously you prioritize it accordingly. But I think it's just something you kind of learn with time as you learn the, the structure of the floor, as you learn the people, as you learn your business, you'll begin to start to prioritize things accordingly. That definitely makes sense. I remember when I, when I started years ago, I remember um, I've always been in I've always been in research myself and um, I remember just getting sometimes harassed by wasn't <laughs> often the traders right because they 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 obviously know their stuff but often I found people in sales just harassing oh, I've got an and they always come with the same I've got an important client you yeah, know yeah. that I need to win business with and I'm like okay which client is it and they name the client I'm like you know and for those who don't know often different banks have different ways of dealing with different clients um so some will be like high priority so what says goes and you know i mean you obviously know the type of we're talking like the big kind of you know the big like real money or big hedge yeah. funds of this world that you know even if you follow finance you know even lightly you'll know kind of these are the big clients that you have to deal with every time be like oh this is an important client. i'm like no it's not like yeah, yeah, you yeah. can do this yourself like you can look on bloomberg like somebody wants to ask me oh what time is is ecb minutes coming out i'm like bro you've been in fixed income longer than me you should kind of know what time yeah, yeah. that comes out what time press conference oh yeah but this big client was was asking i was like oh my god i was like so but it's dealing with that and then i obviously i i, I think i'm honking with questions i got kind of one more before i, I let i let the boys kind of ask more obviously this this year i think was tough for everybody in terms of um covid and i just want to how was like the the process of dealing with um covid kind of when it first came about in i want to say like feb march when you began to see like markets unravel how did you actually deal with that um and you know i've spoken to a lot of people who work in finance and they have said i am not working this hard again 
<laughs> until the numbers come in and I, I know that the numbers by numbers I mean comp everybody um, you know is starting to come in so I know they've come in for some of the, the banks already they'll be rolling out between now and March um, and they say unless the numbers show that I've worked this hard in COVID yeah, yeah. I'm not doing this again so how did you deal with the, you know this year and, and everything else because I know for me it was hard there were times it was just horrible man but I just want to yeah see. it was ah uh, man it was it was a mess so basically um, so as soon as we went into lockdown, they shipped us out to a lot of banks have a backup site, like a disaster recovery center, they call it, where if the main operations of your main building um, uh, go down, you get shipped out to this bunker somewhere in London or outside of London. So I think I Goldman think, have one in Croydon or something. Yeah, 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 there's a few of them in Croydon. <laughs> there's, a few, there's a few of them out in Essex. So imagine you're in the middle of, this is the middle of lockdown, and then you can't even buy lunch, so they bring in sarnies to you on the floor. Um, there's like maybe fifty to hundred of you. This is a trading floor which maybe haven't you they haven't used since the nineties. Um, so it's that kind of setting, and then market's obviously crazy. Um, so they shipped up, they shipped us out there for two and a half, three weeks, and then kind of as equipment was getting to people's houses, they 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 let people go home. Um, and actually the, there was a lot of people in our disaster recovery center who, who got COVID. So they did, they had to shut it down. Oh, uh, mad. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was maybe, there was only maybe 50 of us. I think at least a quarter of people on the floor got COVID. So they thought, okay, we can't do this. We can't shut it down. So I did maybe two weeks from home um, before they, before they sent me back to our regular trading floor. So I was on the trading floor since maybe end of end of mid april early april i was on the trading floor again um and yeah i've been there since so it was it was strange it was really strange it was like um because obviously you have the combination of the fact that you're you're in lockdown so there's 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 a personal aspect to it in the sense mm-hmm. that i'm in i'm this is mad i'm in lockdown like i'm going home to my house and i'm going out to work and i'm not doing anything else and there's the there's the markets aspect to it in the sense that bro markets are crazy, like, and um, and so it's 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 kind of um, balancing it's balancing the two because a lot of the time and I've written about this before a lot of the time when you get into work and things are that busy, you've got to shelve your personal feelings and kind of almost mental well being and just get on with the job. Um, Mm-hmm. on the healthiest situation to be in and which is why a lot of people are like no nah, i'm not doing this again like this is an overrated experience um and so yeah that 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 was kind of that was kind of it for me and and then gradually people start kind of coming back to the floor and stuff so um but no it definitely it definitely changed people's perspectives in the industry and i know a lot of people at um at my level and below are just like no god i'm not doing this again that's that's interesting i feel like the way obviously different industries are are different but i do feel like once everything comes somewhat back to normal however you define normal um there's definitely going to be a change in demands and how people want to work um that's gonna you know live live long um after this whole situation i wanted to take a step back actually because when tom asked you about you know, managing relationships on the on the trading floor and how you interact with people in different um, departments and what have you. 
it kind of got me thinking about a similar question, but within your maybe your your personal life in the sense that um given your background and I think you know Tom and, and myself share a similar background, um when you get to a certain level in your career, um you may be the the highest earner in your family or in your social circle, for instance. Mm. Um and with that there are certain expectations that come with it from family members. Um, I know when I f- went to Cambridge, um, I remember a funny story. Like one of my one of my cousins, um, shout out her, but I remember when they found out, they're like, "Oh yes, I ain't got to do no work. K is gonna be rich. Like he's gonna he's gonna bust us. Like we're nice." <laughs> and I was I was dying because like obviously I knew it was a joke, but at the, at the same time, there's a little bit of pressure that comes with that, yeah. and um, and and when maybe you don't fulfill that because I guess the career I went down is is not super lucrative like I do okay but it's not like you know um the the highest paying industry to be in um there is an element of you know oh, okay I didn't really fulfill um what was expected to me expected of me mm-hmm. to some extent but um yeah I just wanted to know from your from your own experience and stuff like um how has that impacted your relationship with family members, whether it be, you know, you know, people coming to you for money or for or advice on how to get into the game and, and things like that? How have yeah. you found that? Um, I guess my experience was a bit different because, so I didn't tell how anyone how much I was getting paid ever, like not even my mum. Yeah, that's smart stuff. So there was, there was no. Bro, I, wish was I, no... I wish I'd done the same thing as you, you know. But I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> on my mum. So even when I, I I got like this this job that's kind of I moved out to the continent now, I was like, yeah, I'm getting this. She's like, all right, cool. You have to bust me though, innit? I was like, oh. <laughs> no, see, I, I I didn't I did I just didn't do that. I thought there was first of all, my mum has a, my mum has a, like a very um, skeptical view of money. And she thinks that anyone who earns too much money cannot be trusted anyway. So she was, um, so I, from the beginning was, just never told her. And um, I, I kind of just took the same approach with siblings, friends. Um, and for me, it's, it's helped a lot. And um, it's taken a lot of pressure of being a, like, I guess how you put it, the, the focal point in terms of being of your friendship group or your family, mm. or the case mm. maybe. Um, because to them, um, I'm just a guy who's in finance who does relatively well for himself, um, mm. who looks after things when 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 he needs to, um, but hasn't shown us any kind of wealth where we would need to be like, oh, you, you need to bust me. Mm. So that's because you got the all in stocks, bro. <laughs> Let's not lie. I know this. I know this definitely, bro. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, the, I, I just just to say that the more people I speak to in the industry, they're more like I realize that there are loads of people that just invest. They invest like the majority of their money, so they don't even have it, bro, or like easily yeah. have it. They just say, you know, okay, they're doing well. Thank God, bless God, but they don't have. You know, they've only got a little bit of rainy day money. Do you know what I mean? And to yeah, get yeah, that yeah. money it's a it's you know it's a bag of stress so they just yeah, yeah I, I ain't got peas but yeah, you're looking no, at no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the money the money is talking isn't it bro <laughs> <laughs> it's 
No, you're right. I think this is the thing. A lot of people, a lot of people still don't understand that concept. Like sometimes I'll tell people that I have money and bro, like I genuinely don't have it. Like it will take me seven or to 10 days to, to get this money out or whatever the case may be, or the money may be tied up in things. And so um, it really, that, that really is the case. It's funny you say that. But, um, Asset rich, cash poor. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. And th- this is the thing. I mean, that's probably the biggest, the biggest aspect for me that I've benefited from in getting into finance because I've, I've, I've just learned a lot about money management and about personal finance mm-hmm. and about how the world works. Um, and I think I was having this debate with someone the other day. This is, it's really the crux of, of why people often tend to think like the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor because there's some. Um, there's like a sinister evil force like keeping poor people from becoming rich. And that mm. may be true to some extent, but the reality of it is the rich stay rich because they just understand how 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 the world works and how personal finance works. Mm. And mm. I would say I, I, I was saying this as well, I was saying it, the, the majority of, for example, the majority of people that work for a private company will have some kind of pension that's invested for them over, mm-hmm. over the tenure that they work at the company. But most people don't even know how that pension is invested. Like if you ask them what's in their pension plan, they won't be able to tell you. And if they were informed on what was in their pension plan, they might have a different idea of where they want to be invested. Mm-hmm. But it's never something until I got into finance that I understood or knew how it worked. Um, and so, but going back to your original question, my my personal relationships, um, if anything, they've 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 benefited me more than um, than I've benefited than I've kind of benefited them in the sense that. I was never really, I've always been like a kind of low key person. Um, and the majority of the time, my friendship group are the, and my parents, um, my mom and my siblings are the people that ground me. Mm. So I could never, I could never turn, I could never turn around and kind of be a big fish to them because my boys would be like, but bruv, we knew you when you was a snotty youth from, from 10, 15 years ago. So who are you really starting to like? <laughs> and so that's 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 kind of what keeps me grounded and that that is trust me that is a big benefit to me because you get into an industry like this or any industry where you where you can be hyper successful and you can lose yourself very quickly if you distance yourself from the people that kind of remind you and keep you grounded and remind you of where you came from so um yeah that, that's how it's kind of played out for me yeah and um I had another question that, that kind of came up from the back of what you said. Um, and there's an element to any career where there's, you know, outside of even the politics, there's just getting on with your team and going to the social events. And, um, you know, these tend, these types of things tend to revolve around a particular type of uh, definition of enjoyment, let's say. So, you know, heavily, um, heavily kind of based around drinking culture or like you know certain other types of substances whatever the case is um I guess as as you know any, anyone from like a background where they may not will just have an inclination where they're not really into that kind of thing right um mm. do you think that can hold you back in your career um and like is there are there particular ways to navigate it so because for instance yeah um I have a lot of uh so my my wife yeah she used to work at one um media company right 
one of the, I guess edgy hipsterish type company like you could probably guess what it is but they have a very big like drug culture for instance or and drinking culture too and with her being Muslim like she doesn't partake in any of that mm. and that meant that certain relationships couldn't built, be built in the same type of way and certain opportunities might have been closed off because she wasn't going to these after work things mm. um yeah my question I guess is f- also for like listeners um like how would you kind of navigate that kind of dynamic and is that something you had to like you know struggle with or deal with uh yeah definitely um there's a big part there's a big part of the industry that still partakes in this um in this kind of lads culture of you have to go out and get smashed um and you know that's how you build relationships and that's how you get far and but there's 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 two aspects to it there's the first aspect in that that is that is a less defining part of the culture than it used to be 20 years ago for instance and actually with the people that have come into the industry now um and the younger generation who are to some extent less interested in that life yeah definitely um, i'd say i'd say like the the young What's the what's the generation after millennials? Generation X, Y, whatever. Yeah, Y. Why is something? Yeah. They don't drink. Yeah. They don't drink. You know what I mean? So it's it's just, yeah. To that point, I definitely agree with it. They're just yeah. Like, so oh. they're, they're they're less interested in it, and so the industry kind of you have a split of these people who are kind of more old school, um, and these and the new generation of kind of juniors who are coming in and who are, who don't partake in that. So, um. It's less it's less frowned upon to not partake in that in that in that lifestyle mm-hmm. um, than it was previously. At the same time, again, you do have you do have cases where it's the certain culture of a team or it's the certain culture of a of a division or floor or or a manager that um, and even clients as well um, that you know that's what they that's what that's what they enjoy and that's how they build relationships. But it's less of a factor than it used to be. And I think there's niches you can build for yourself on a trading floor elsewhere, an investment bank where you can be a person who goes along to those events, but just isn't that, isn't that, doesn't go that hard with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And still be someone who's respected as, you know, that person comes in every day, they show up, they give 100%, they're clever, mm. capable. Um, and um, and I would trust them to do X, Y, Z job. Yeah. Responsibility. Yeah. I, I knew a guy that you, you, it's an interesting point you bring up. I knew a guy who, um, he was at Lehman, so he's been around way. I mean, he was he used to run a part of the rates, interest rate franchise at Lehman, so he's been around for a long time. Then he moved around, and um, anytime I would, I used to work with this guy, and I'd never seen him out drinking or anything like that. He'd never, mm-hmm. I'd seen him, he was French, I'd seen him have like a glass of wine at our offsite once, yeah. but I'd never ever seen him like go out regularly. And it was like, whatever, but it was just cause he was like, no, I don't really need to. He was, he was a bit like, I'm just kind of past this now. Do you know what I mean? He was yeah. like, it's not really for me anymore. And he's like, I do drink. You've seen me have, you know, wine and cheese at offsite. But I was like, uh, uh, he's just like, no, it's not my cup of tea. I just do the job. And you know, he's kind of well regarded in, in even among like, capital markets issues is well regarded people know him what he says goes he'll tell somebody i'll go and issue this piece of debt and they'll straight away they'll do it next week because that's how you know what i mean so yeah. it's kind of like he doesn't have to prove himself to anyone or form not prove himself but form any kind of camaraderie like that you know so 
yeah, I hear where you're coming from, man. Yeah. Um, um, I was reading, obviously, some of the 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 blog posts you've done as well, and obviously you alluded um, you alluded to it earlier on, where you know you kind of fell into banking. Um, in some of your articles, you you say that you know it's not it wasn't my original passion. It's not really what I wanted to get into. Um, mm. So it'll be interesting to hear. Like, do you have? Did you? Was there like a passion that you had that you wanted to pursue, or you're thinking about maybe pursuing down the line? Um, and also, have you kind of learned to love banking? Like, really enjoyed the, you know, your day to day of of what you kind of do, like the nuts and bolts of it. Uh, yeah, I think. Um, so I was when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pilot. That was my actual no. That was my actual passion when I was a child. But it cost so much to go and train to be a pilot that it almost was impossible to to follow it up. Mm. Um, uh, funnily enough, when I got into finance and started working, um, I uh, I did go and get my private pilot license. So it, it's kind of something that I don't think I would do as a job, but I can imp- I can I can have as kind of something I do. Um, mm thankfully as a hobby mm-hmm. um do i love finances I've, I've been open about this before people finance is not necessarily my passion um and i would like i would be lying if i said otherwise um but i care about my what i care about and kind of where my where, where i want my life to take me the two are very aligned mm-hmm. um I care about winning as much as possible in uh, in, a, in any capacity and I'm in, I'm in. I care about um care about being successful. I care about um learning about continuing to learn about kind of um how the world works and how to leverage kind of the system to um to make sure I do well and to make sure people I care about do well. Mm. Um and I care a lot about, um, I care a lot about, and I write a lot about kind of equaling the playing field for people who come from a similar background to me. And I think you can only really do that if you're in some of the most influential venues in kind of, in, uh, in kind of societal hierarchy. And I think finance will forever be one of those venues. Um, so to put it shortly, if you do well in finance, you can have a bigger, you can have a reasonable impact um and so that's what it's kind of about for me um i'm good at what i do um because i haven't been fired yet and normally you get fired if you if you're not good at it not <laughs> after that work with you. um and so uh i'm able to i am able to kind of get by and do it without me feeling like i have to have a passion for it mm. um and there's a lot of there's a lot of um, there's a lot of aspects to the job that I think that I enjoy that I wouldn't get from any other job. So um, how intense it is, how fast paced it is, how how much although you have the kind of um, politics, how well rewarded you are for kind of what you do. Like mm-hmm. the, that that equation is a lot more linear than it is in other industries, mm-hmm. um, where you may you may have to wait double the amount of time that I've been in finance to kind of get to a similar similar level of responsibility mm. um so yeah you get a lot of people who kind of know about finance from quite a young age say you know this is all I've ever cared about that was never me and it's still not really me um 
but I understand that I don't think there's another industry at the moment that could fulfill what I want to achieve in the same way. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think the reason why that question came up for me is because I've spoken to like so many people that are um, in different industries, finance tends to be one of them and law also actually had conversations with a lot of good friends of mine that have gone into to law and um corporate law specifically and then finance and what have you and um yeah i don't know like they yeah i know, they, I know to, they, they, they like the check at the end of the month but they don't like the job yeah do you know what i mean yeah. they, they they tend to express that to me quite a lot and um is a weird one because I, I I've come to I used to be kind of like one of those people like oh, I need to follow your passion and da, 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 like just really um, a typical I guess millennial uh, mm. way of looking. Now do you know what? it's a good it's a it's a good point and I hear and I hear what they're saying because that can, it can really be soul destroying when you don't enjoy your job and I do have periods yeah. where I do have periods where I think to myself oh, should I just pack it in and do kind of do what I love. But I have a very, I have a very pragmatic kind of view of the world, and I mm. tend, to, I tend to, and a view of my life, and I tend to try and exclude as much as possible my my emotion from any decision that I make with regards mm. to my career. And mm. I always tell myself, for as long as I can, for as long as I can, kind of, um, like I said, you draw the boundaries at the start, and for mm. as long as I can, kind of, um, say to myself. The downs, because you always have ups and downs, but mm-hmm. as long as the downs don't become predominantly how I'm feeling, mm-hmm. then I yeah. can still do this. Um, yeah. But I can, I totally understand how you might feel if you say to yourself, ah, um, I'm too pigeonholed now. I can't do anything. Mm-hmm. I get paid too much here. Mm-hmm. And I might just have to deal with the fact that I'm miserable, but I am miserable. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough space to be yeah, in. And yeah. I don't, and I think there's a lot of people, especially when you come from our background, there aren't a lot of people that you could turn around to and say, oh, well, how am I supposed to feel about this? Or what should I do? Or like, mm. it's, it's mm. a tough one. I think mm. it reminds me of a quote that Lloyd Blankfein, who was the previous CEO of Goldman Sachs, he he once said um, that if you enjoy your job 65% of the time, at least, then you're in the right spot. When you think about all of the politics and all of the stuff that you have to deal with across all industries. But obviously he was talking to Ibella Vanna specifically. Um, and I think that's pretty much a good way to, to, to go about it. Um, I wanna, I...